Kyle, thanks so much for joining Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta, and today we are welcomed by Jack London, who is the founder and CEO of PatientPal and the CEO of Health Direct Partners. Thanks so much for being here. Delight to be here. Thank you. We are happy to talk to you today, and we're going to focus most of our time on PatientPal, which is a really cool patient advocacy organization, but you also, you're your client is the self-funded employer, but they reach them and get better outcomes for both the patients and for their own bottom line by advocating for the patients, helping direct them, empower them to make the right decisions for them, and really getting them to comply with a lot of the required treatments or the, the recommended treatments for chronic conditions. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what makes the work that you're doing at PatientPal so important? It's education, Stephanie. It's a, we're, we're educating the patient to give them the empowering knowledge to understand what they're dealing with as far as their illness is concerned and what the op- options are for them if, if, and how they're going to get treated and then make sure that the best and the best. We always say, I know what I do for my wife, for my child. We want our patients to know that we want to do the same for them what their family, what they would want to have done. And that's what patient pal, and that's why we're a, a, what we call the concierge advocate. It's a very interesting model that you've described, Jack. Uh, there's a lot of touch points and uh, a, a great chance to engage with the patients, uh, help them, educate them, empower them, kind of coax them along. So um, I'm hoping maybe you can spell that out a little bit more in terms of how is it's actually designed and what you find to be the most powerful elements of that engagement process. Thank you, doctor. When we first started Patient Pal, people were calling us and and we were waiting for their calls, basically, and particularly on the level of crisis that they were involved. And the call always started the same way. I don't know if you can help, but my wife's been diagnosed with cancer. I don't know what to do, where to go, and how much it costs. Can you help me? Well, when they found out how much it costs, they, they certainly were stricken. But the aspect was at least they had somebody that they could talk to. And that was the most important part. These are real live nurses. Nothing's recorded. We are live together with them all the time, 24-7. And so we were able to help them in that arena. As we progressed, we're now 87% of the time doing an outbound call. So we're not sitting waiting for those calls to occur. We're looking at data. We're looking at those patients that are challenged with their diabetes or with their asthma, with their chronic illness, and being proactive and calling them and saying, how are we doing today? And and they welcome those calls for the most part. It's not an interruption in their day. It's it's an opportunity to say, hey, you know what? I can share some things with you and I need your help and some advice. So it works that way. I was going to ask you something along the same lines of what that's like, because I didn't know if people would feel like, oh my gosh, now there's this other person that I'm answering to, or if it was going to be like, oh my gosh, I actually finally have a human that I can talk to. What is that like whenever your whenever your nurses who you said one of the number one things that you hire for at patient pal is compassion? So when they're reaching out to these people who may be newly diagnosed or who are, you know, maybe switching medications or something like that, what is that like for them? What are these people asking? What is, you know, like the biggest concern? Are they concerned that they don't know how to take their medicine? Or is it that they're maybe having side effects from medicine or that they don't know what doctor to see next? What are the types of things that patients are asking you for? 
most of all of those things you've just outlined right there. Uh, but it's, again, think about this, an uneducated consumer. You walk into a grocery store, you know what you're going to get, you know what you need to get and how you're going to buy it. In the healthcare arena, you don't know how to buy this stuff. You know, you just are following your plan document, you're following your provider panel. And most of the time, in fact, uh, I had mentioned at the very offset for our intake, the first question we say is, Stephanie, who's your primary care doctor? Oh, you know, I don't have one. Oh, gosh, in your zip code, there are five primary care doctors. How about if we make you an appointment with one of those? And that's one of the first things that we want to be able to accomplish in that. When that point of trust comes into play, there's more level of comfort, of understanding, because we're not there to bemoan them. We're not there to say, hey, why didn't you do this? It's what can we do to help you as a servant? And Jack, is that then the big differentiator? Because I'm just trying to tease out where some of mm -hmm. our audience might also think about this and liken it to utilization management, case management yeah, functions right. that are offered by a hospital or a provider group or, or even by an insurance company. And so some of the functions you're describing could be seen in that light. Uh, is, is that what it is or, it, or how is this any different than what other uh, providers may also be, be trying to offer? You know, Doctor, I, I, I vision when I see the Super Bowl and there's 100,000 people in the stadium, I don't think football, I think, you know, there's somebody in there that needs patient pal. <laughs> I think about that all the time because I know full well that I'm standing in line at the airport and somebody says, so what do you do? You know, and I start talking, oh my gosh, I wish I had your number last week. Uh, every time that I have gone to speak in front of an organization, whether it's, and I speak around the country on healthcare, it, I will ask, how many people here have been touched by healthcare this past year? Everybody raises their hand. Then uh, the second question is, how many have had a caregiver or somebody call out to see how you were doing? No hands are raised. So what had shows me is that void. And that's why we want to have those people that say, I just, just like somebody to talk to about my healthcare. And I put no time constraints on my nurses. We're not paid by the minute. It's, it's a situation where if you want to talk to them for five minutes or five hours, I don't care. Because everybody needs to be able to say, I need some help. And here's what I'm thinking. And it's mm -hmm. not their mother <laughs> or their father or their relative you know, you're really providing a concierge service. Yes. Some of the things that you've mentioned that I think do sound different than maybe other people are, if they're going in for a procedure, you're saying, let me have the number of your caretaker because I want to know when you're out of surgery. So what is that like? And why is that so important to both rely on the people who are taking care of these people with the chronic conditions and then also on the primary care doctor? We've eliminated the questions. What has happened is many people, when that patient comes out of anesthesia and they're, they're doing fine, what happens? They're, they're left into a room there to recover and go through the process and their caregivers outside waiting to come back in. And finally they say, okay, they're going to get dressed or they're coming home. And then they notice there's a little spot on the apron there. There's a blood that something's bleeding. And they ask, well, what the heck's this? And the nurse comes over and says, gosh, I don't know. And we're going to see what's going on. And then all of a sudden, sometimes though, they go home and then it happens. And the caregiver who's not a medical professional is, is, is frightened. And that's when they'll call patient pal. And we say, Hey, if it's 911 emergency, you do it. 
But here's, here's, here's what we want to talk about. Let's talk about some of the symptoms. What's happening? Is it lightheaded? Are you losing? Is, is she or he losing a lot of blood? And then we'll make that phone call to that doctor's office to be able to say, your patient who just came out, and we'll talk, and, and I like to say, we, we cut to the chase because we know who to call, when to call, where to call. We're not going to call the front office. We're going to call the back office line. If we can get to the doctor, we will, and get to the chief nurse, we will. So at least there's a way of that connection, but it's a professional talking to a professional. That's the difference maker right there. Yeah, it's a significant investment of energy and time and resources. And again, in a way that a patient and a family member wouldn't be able to figure out. So that sounds amazing. I guess at this point, maybe we should step back a little bit because the audience may be wondering, well, how do I access this? And the key is it's not that an individual patient or family member could just call you up, correct? They have to be, this has to be a contracted service provided by a, uh, a self-employed uh, insurer. Is that correct? Maybe you can you can lay that out? Uh, sure. Uh, actually, we're in the process, doctor. We've had so many requests for individual memberships. Uh, mm -hmm. for, oh, they'll say, I love what you're doing for, my, uh, for, for our company and our people, but my mom and dad need patient pal. <laughs> mm -hmm. They haven't a clue about what to do with Medicare. And, and so we have, right now, we're in the throes of developing that individual membership type program. Um, but for the most part, you're correct. Uh, the self-funded employer brings us in, they sponsor us and no cost to the employee. And we're there for them 24 seven. And that's why we spend a lot of time with implementation and continued education to let them know that that patient pal is there. Here's our number. You call anytime, night and day, or you can email us. The younger, the demographic, they love to text. They don't like to talk. <laughs> and and they'll text all day long and then they'll go maybe into a phone call uh or but but or an email they love the emails so between emails and texts we've trying to stay up with the time i'm the old school guy so i i'm <laughs> i'm doing the talking on the phone so with with our team is it a specific relationship that's established, Jack? Is it a, is it like a case management? Some it, it is a nurse? relationship. Well, yeah. I, I'm so glad you said. We try to keep their same nurses with the same patient. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it is important. They want to know that that if Karen's going to be talking to them, and are you going to call me next week? You know that kind of thing. They even ask for that. Can we schedule a time to call next week? Mm -hmm. And and it becomes a matter of fact, and it becomes a relationship the relationship about healthcare. And it's, it's, it's focused on that. And then it goes down the line as to, well, you know, I'm feeling better, but maybe we should watch for this. And we got holiday coming up and, you know, <laughs> there's, it's all, it's a very unique relationship and it's not all just medical related. Uh, there are times that we have patients that call just a call, just a call, which is okay by, by me, as long as they're engaging and we're together. From an employer's perspective, why is this something that they should do? What are some of the outcomes that you've seen maybe pre-patient pal and then once they've had you for a year or two years? Right. If you take a look at most of, we'll ask the HR first off, how many calls or how many people do you get visiting your office? Oh my gosh, all the time. And then they say, well, you know, with HIPAA and everything, I don't want to know that stuff. And they want to have that. So what we are and we share with them is that we're a confidential concierge service. So we're HIPAA compliant, obviously. We want to be able to protect the value. And and, and our reports are very stringent apart of what we are sharing. We do let them know, Stephanie, how many calls, 
uh, what what is the gist of the calls, that kind of situation. And then on the outbound situation, obviously we have the data to support that. So we know in, in that way, at least they know, hey, we made 552 calls of which we had 87% connectivity and, and look at the difference in some of the outcomes, costs, particularly when we've negated some of those large dollar costs, which is what we're there for. Whenever you're saying that most of the calls that you make at Patient Powell or most of the calls are outbound calls, yes. obviously you're initiating these, these interactions. So what is that chain? Is it somebody from HR letting you know that they've received some kind of approval or request for a surgery? What triggers that reach out yeah. to the patient? Well, the, the, the crisis management comes from HR m many other times. We've got a patient and they'll, they'll call patient pal and say, we need your help. We, we got this. He walked into a glass. We had a patient walked into a glass door and, 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 you know, shattered glass all over their face and they were cut. They needed to get plastic surgery done and some other things. And so we negotiated the fees for them. We got them into the plastic surgeon. We followed up, went all the way through the process. So there was not a dime that came out of that person's pocket. And it helped, you know, in a lot of different areas. Plus the outcome was a lot better than it would have been if they just showed up at some emergency room. Uh, that was just a, 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 a tad of an example. Uh, we have been so blessed in, in, in these years that, from, from babies that we've flown across the country in, in an emergency situation with their family to make arrangements for, uh, for their um, treatment, as well as accommodations for mom and dad at the McDonald, Ronald McDonald house or some kind of situation. Who thinks of that? Patients don't. The parents don't. And the plan doesn't. So patient pal does. Those are the things. That's why I say on the concierge side, I can't tell you the amount of apartments that we've rented for people. <laughs> and I'm not in the rental business, but it's when it fits into the concierge piece where they say, I just need your help. So we assess the situation and then we take a team effort and make it happen from there. Yeah, you're speaking, Jack, a few times about outcomes and I'd yes. love to hear more. I mean, it sounds... Tremendous. It sounds like you're saying there's cost outcomes that are improved. It also sounds like obviously there must be some quality outcomes as yeah. well and just the overall experience of care type outcomes. So could you speak a little bit about what kinds of outcomes you're finding? Two things. Cost savings certainly happens. But when a patient is engaged, you have a better manipulated patient that is manipulated into the system of management. It's, it is hand-delivered into a process. A majority of patients that end up in high-dollar situations are those that have ignored the signals. I'm not going to the doctor. I'm fine and dandy, and boom, they crash and burn. And, and symptomatically, how many stubborn people are out there? And I'm certainly one of them. You know, the people, most people just say, look, I'm fine. Just leave me alone. I'm, I'm okay. When they know that there's somebody there and we are proactively reaching out because when we're looking at numbers that are going awry on a diabetic and if we see an asthmatic who is having trouble breathing and continually having trouble breathing, if, if we see a, a person who's suffering from arthritis unneedlessly, who is just chosen not to go to the physician, we make those appointments for them. And that drives savings and better outcomes. 
Well, I believe a patient that their, their level of engagement will support a better outcome. Most importantly, you talked about compassion at the outset and you kind of selecting people, selecting your nurses for compassion. Mm -hmm. Uh, is, is this really become a favorite topic of, of mine and Stephanie and I, we talk about this quite a lot now. I'd like to hear more about how you select for compassion. You, do you provide any additional training for compassion? How do you know that compassion is actually being delivered? Uh, you know, please uh, share your thoughts on that. When we're interviewing someone, a nurse particularly, about their experience, I want to hear more about their experience in patient interaction than their experience as a, a nurse on the floor. In fact, most nurses have come to us and said, oh my gosh, you're giving me my life back. You know, they're the, they're, they're the, they've done 12 shifts straight, or they've worked, you know, four 12-hour shifts, and they've gotten... 30 patients that they've got to round to, and there's no quality for them at all. In this case, we're, we're putting them in a position where they can spend, as I had told you, most as much time as you want with that patient, learn about that patient. If they are concerned about their own family first, which most are, if they're really thinking in terms of what Patient Pal is all about, that's a winner for me. By all means, I don't want to, I know your education and I understand it's all hard and you've done a great job getting those degrees, but I want to know how you're interacting with your own family and the, and the, and the healthcare issues that you've had, how that works, then they can become part of the patient pal team. You've gone from a career in broadcasting, which you've maintained over the years, and then you had a long and successful career in hospitals, and then that led you to this. So everything has led you to the next thing. So <laughs> when you look at patient advocacy and support from broadcasting, that's a giant leap. You know, they're all people facing. So I think there are connectors. But what is it that drives you to not only just do this, but think like, okay, I can go, sure, yeah, I'll go learn a whole new field. <laughs> yes, I'll go handle this and I can, you know, change the way that this is happening. So what is it that drives you? It must be something that's incredibly important to you. My dad had taught me, he said, um, I'll never tell you what to do, son, but I just want you to remember, make your work your hobby. And so I don't see this as work. Um, um Broadcasting, I'm still doing. I do some syndicated radio programs around the country, and I do a lot of voiceover work. But on the healthcare side, and I can do that anywhere. I'm in my broadcast studio here in, in Missouri. I, I love the idea of, of something different. I always tell my staff, if it was easy, everybody would do it. This is not easy. And you guys know this as well as anyone. Healthcare is a difficult arena to be in. But you know what? As our slogan says, the patient always comes first. As long as we start with the patient and end with the patient, what we do in the middle of it all is going to make a difference. And that's what we get to do. And that's why I get to get up every morning. I just tell my wife, give me light nourishment and prop me up and keep me going. <laughs> and I will. Thank you so much for being here, Jack, and telling us all about Patient Pal. It's amazing work that you're doing. I'm blessed. Thank you so much and honored that you invited me so much. Thank you, both of you. Thank you. What an honor. Really appreciate your great work. And thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.